0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today, joined by Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley, as we chew the fat for all the major talking points at Goodison Park in this winter break, of course. Carlo Ancelotti giving the Blues players five days off, but they signed off for that well-end rest. The 3-1 victory over Crystal Palace that took the Blues seventh and keeps up with the momentum, at this late charge for European qualification. We will reflect uh, on the Palace win uh, and how it was achieved. Plus, we will talk about John Pickford, who gave a very strong interview after the game. I'm sure you've read it on our website. Uh, We will discuss what he had to say. Plus, um, what should Everton do right back in the summer? A piece we wrote today about John Joe Kenny and how Everton are closely monitoring his loan at Schulker. But of course, the decision over his future... Involves many other people, Coleman and Sidibe and of course the new manager as well. So we will talk all about that. Uh, but we'll start with Palace as as we didn't get the chance to pod any earlier this week. Um, hard fought in the end, uh, Bees. Um, mm. But we, we were worthy winners though, weren't we, all told? In the end, yeah, it was a, str- it was a strange
1: one. Uh, at 1-0, Everton looked um, almost totally in control. But then they started the second half a bit sluggish. But even so... The equaliser just totally came out of nothing there. And Benteke, who hadn't scored all season. I mean, we'll touch on it later. Soft shot on the Pickford's body, one all. But yeah, like you said, it was a pivotal moment, though. I thought that when Richarlison did score that goal because Everton were under, under the cosh at that moment, Pickford had gone on and made a, a good save to deny Benteke a second, sorry, that was was that just after, just after, the, the, just the, after goal, the goal, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it were, was a period when, absolutely, when Palace uh, were on top. So for Rashardson to just go down the other end and um, to score in the, the manner that he did, uh, yeah, that that was a that was a big thing. But yeah, they're, they're, they're looking convincing. The fact that they can have those setbacks within games, with, whether it's two 0 down at Watford, you don't want that too often happening in games like that. But yeah, the fact that when they they are on the back foot, they can claw themselves back into the games where they don't seem to have that fragility that they'd had in the in the recent past
0: what struck me, um, kind of about Saturday, and, and put it in put it in one of our pieces. You know, we moved seventh, and the last time, of course, we finished seventh to qualify for Europe was was twenty seventeen under the first season of Kuman. And for me, there were shades of that that running with Kuman, where we didn't always play brilliantly, but there was just an inevitability and a, a belief about the team uh, as we kind of just marched to seventh with, with room to spare. And of course, you know, it's doubtful that we'll, we will do that. This time it will be much tighter if we do qualify for the Europa League. But did you get a sense that there was any reminder of that of, of that
2: team from from two and a half years ago? Yeah, I think it's definitely that sense of mentality change, and, and mentality has been spoken about so often at Everton this season, and, and often in a negative light. And I think you know under Marco, there, there was you know it, it happens to any team that, that aren't playing with confidence and aren't getting results. But any time you're the other team and score, you'd just be like, well, that's it, we've lost, it's over. Or we definitely, we certainly won't win, you know. And there was that stat that was obviously widely doing the rounds at the time when when Michael got sacked that we never came from behind to to win a game under him, and, and it, there was just that air of ine- inevitability. But you know, as B is saying, it was a bit of a tricky a tricky time. Strange, really, because at time we seemed quite settled and, and and quite on top, and and you know, and Carl probably admit that we we were, we were terrible for the first five, five, 10, 15 minutes of the second half. But now, as you're saying, that there's a there's a real strong parallel with, with that Koeman season of we're just we're just getting the results, aren't we And you think just the ones that come to come to the top of my head straight away under, under Ancelotti and you've got, you know, the Burnley game, his first game of goods so and we kept plugging away, we got that goal. You know, Newcastle away where they equalised, but we kept going and got the winner. And again there uh, Richarlison almost taking on the, the Lukaku mantle of of dragging us towards Europe with with you know, that that's the kind of raw power he possesses, isn't it? It was like it was pure street footy, wasn't it? That mm. goal, he, he, there was no skill, there was no flicks and tricks, it was just straight power, wasn't it? Running down the field and, and scoring that goal and it, was, and it was nice to see Calvert-Lewin as well get get another one at the end. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely an air of belief and, and what I think is quite exciting now is that, you know, looking at that game in the context of the next couple of fixtures, which is Arsenal away and Manchester United at home, um, you know, we'll let you use that belief. This is, this is a port, this is probably the the worst Arsenal team you, you, you're you going to have faced in a long time at the Emirates and and the same maybe for Manchester United a team that we would be comfortably 4-0 last season so you know if we're, we're the team in the ascendancy at the moment we're, we're going to be playing them more confident than those two teams more settled than those two teams um, and you know you get two results there and, and the, the landscape of the season changes even more dramatically than, than we think it has right now Bees um On last week's pod,
0: we talked about how many times had had we all watched the winner at Watford. How many times do you think people have been watching Richarlison's goal? Because Hmm. um, Preno, who's who's not in today's pod, uh, said to me on Sunday, he thinks it's his favourite goal of the season. All right. Um, Just a
1: lovely view. I know obviously you two were at the game itself, but. we were back here in the office, and there was, was a great view from the the, um, the cameras of, of the goal, quite quite high up, mm-hmm. and also panoramic of Goddardson. Just just seeing how it unfolded, um, yeah, it, it, it was it was um, it was a great moment, and yeah, um, it, it was uh, like you say, not not necessarily um, skill or finesse, but. Um, Pure power, I must also say actually the, the opening goal as well was great because you knew it was going to happen You when you saw that cross come mm. in from Walcott and the way that Bernard took it at the back post you just knew that was going to be 1-0 so a co- couple of uh, really enjoyable goals and um, on, on the flip side of that um, Calvert-Lewin's just a tapping, but that's great because we're saying about Calvert-Lewin he's now got that poacher's instinct um, in and around
2: the, the six-yard box so yeah, three different goals but
1: um, all enjoyable and, all in their own different ways
2: the, the atmosphere obviously would have been like a, a half-twelve kick-off wasn't it? It's best, but there was just something about that goal, wasn't it? Like I think even me and you had a had a little celebration when it went in because you, you don't often see that kind of that type of goal very often, do you? And it just kind of came in in the blink of an eye. And I also think from from the couple of times I've watched it back, and it's gone a little bit under the radar is is Calvert Lewin winning that initial Frickle. little header. You, mm-hmm. know, to, it's, it's you know, it's a it's a dead ball that it's it's going nowhere. You know, it's a loose ball, and you know what what a kind of um, a decision. And, and obviously you've got to track it back to, to Dunk, but. That kind of partnership of of Richarlison and Calvert Lewin, it's just working at the moment, isn't it? You know, and it's helping the Calvert has got the confidence to score goals. You know, he to, he told me after the game, you know, now he's disappointed when he goes out on the pitch and and doesn't score. And you know, to think that this was a player who only scored six Premier League goals in the entire of, of last season, what what a kind of change he's had, and what a second half of the season he's having. But what I do love about Richarlison is, is he can just do it all. And I think you could tell him to go and play left back, and he'd probably be one of the the Best players on the pitch, and you know what? What manager wouldn't want a player who can score a goal out of nothing like that?
0: In putting that goal into context, I was just thinking, is there anybody else in the Everton squad who could have picked the ball up where Richarlison did and single handedly turn it into a goal? And that's not a criticism mm-hmm. of the other players, I think I'm just trying to highlight how
2: special yeah. this, you know, this lad is. Maybe, maybe. Certainly, the, the physical attribute he got—you'd like to think—maybe once he gets a little bit more confidence behind him, that that's kind of what we've brought, brought Moise Keane mm, in for. But yeah. apart from that, at the moment, there's, there's not there's no one of that profile. But at the same time, I don't think there's many players of that profile currently in the, in the Premier League. You know, he he's, he has just got something about him at the moment, and he, he almost reminds me a little bit of of Mane at Liverpool, like a, a lot of power and a lot of kind of. You know confidence in his own ability, and, and and you know with Richarlison now it certainly seems what what I'm also liking about in this season there has been a few times there where he could have maybe looked for the, for the other option, but he's he's certainly got that that ruthless streak. I think he fancies himself as a central striker, and you know he's certainly got the, the finish to boot because you know that goal, the goal against Brighton this season, the couple against Brighton last season, Wolves on his debut, you know he he takes the hard chances, doesn't he? You can't knock him. He, he doesn't often score the easy ones. No, I think he's an absolutely phenomenal player for this football club. And um, B's Royal Blue
0: Podcast favorite, Gav Buckland, um, <laughs> said to me as they turned round after uh, after probably after the goal in a period where Richarlison was w- w- was showing his his, uh, his quality. He said the two best players in the Premier League outside of the established top four five, if you like, were on the pitch at the moment. Mm. Richarlison and Wilfred Zaha. Would you agree that Richarlison is now has to be talked about in that bracket? Yeah, I think you, you could say um, this season. Um, obviously, we follow Everton's fortunes
1: a lot more closely than Crystal Palace's, but I, I think that Rich- um, is, is has done more sort of highlight real moments like that this season than I can recall um, Zahar doing. I mean, yeah, it was it was widely recognised. We talked about it in the previous podcast when there was those rumours of Zaha coming to Everton last season that he was supposedly the best player outside that those elite group of clubs. But yeah, the way that, um come on, I think you just want to have that little bit more con- consistency with him at, at times. Sometimes he blows hot and cold, but I mean, he's having to do, has been for a long time, two different kind of roles. He's um, obviously with the four four two Now, he does tend to be as part of a, stri- a strike pairing with Calvert-Lewin, but he spent a lot of the time under the previous, previous regime, either alternating between... Um, a central striking role on the wing. But, yeah, he's he's, he's, um, certainly uh, one of the premiered um, talents outside those uh, established um, big six. And hence, whether we like it or not, why, you know, there are at times speculation um, linking him with um, other clubs with um, greater resources.
0: So, 13 league goals for Richarlison last season, 13 for Sigurdsson last season. Calvert-Lewin's got 11. So, you would think, you know, very realistic that he will match or even uh, go past last season's um, top scorer, tally. What, what should Richarlison be aiming for in the final 12 games?
2: I think 15, 15 plus. I think I think that's achievable. I think um, if, if he can get to that now, then then what an incredible two seasons he, he's had. I, I don't know. I don't know whether people might say for the amount of money you've paid for him, should he be looking at 15, 20? You know, 15 would still be... A, a, a brilliant kind of tally to finish on. But I just think for for a young lad it's it's consistency, isn't it? And and I think you've also got to remember he started the season reasonably slowly in, in, in terms of goals as well. You know, and Calvert Lewin kinda of did a little bit as well. So I think if both of them can aim for for around that fifteen mark, then surely one of them next season can can kick on and go towards twenty. And you know it's been a long time since Everton have had a a consistent fifteen to twenty goal a season. Strike isn't it? We haven't had that since Rom. Mm. We've been searching it and you know, how incredible would it be if if kind of it, it had been Calvert Lewin all along that we were just waiting to uh, to to kick on. So, Richarlison next season, I think for for the, for how old he's going to be, I, I, I definitely expect him to to head towards that that twenty category. So I think this season, you know, Ancelotti and and Richarlison himself will, will probably just want to to keep getting minutes under his belt and keep scoring goals and, and keep that confidence flowing because as you were saying, I don't think there's many players outside, you know, that that top four, that top six that have a player like Richarlison and and how important he is to Everton at the moment. And, you know, you've got to remember he, he's been doing this in in two pretty difficult seasons for the club. You know, we had a long, difficult stretch under Silver last season. We've had a change of manager this year, you know, his his mentor and he and he's playing still possibly playing the, the best football of his ever could career. So, staggering really. And no surprise that we've already now started having these kind of early early rumblings of of other teams, of bigger teams wanting them because I, I'm 100% certain that won't be the last we, we hear of, of teams' interest. Mm, sadly not. Um, Bees,
0: story we carried initially Sunday evening and then uh, updated for Monday morning. Um Due to results, we weren't certain how the results were going to go. But Brazil will be playing in the Olympics. Of course, Richarlison will be part of the Brazilian School for the Copa America. Uh, It's come around again. uh, The Chaves have changed the the schedule. So it's come around 12 months, obviously, Brazil defending champions. Richarlison scoring a penalty in the final last summer. He will be, of course, we imagine, in that squad. Um, But then it's been suggested um, in an interview that he he, he gave to the Daily Mail uh, on the weekend that he could be or has made it known that he wants to be available for the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, I asked Carlo Ancelotti after the game on Saturday um, what he thought of that. Um, and he said, look, it's 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 way off. I haven't really given it much consideration. But to paraphrase his response, he said, we're going to have to talk to Brazil. Brackets. I don't want this to happen because, of mm. course, the tournament uh, at the Olympics runs until the opening date of the Premier League season. Now, do you think Everton have got an issue on their hands, given our friends across the desk who cover Liverpool tell me reliably that Mo Salah looks like possibly would be going into the Egypt squad uh, and Minamino, if I've pronounced that correct, is almost a cert to play for Japan. Do we have a a problem on the horizon? We certainly do. If if it's um, a double tournament, and they say that with the
1: Copa America is as well but the olympics um whether well, we like it or not is is par for the course certainly with the younger players it's it's interesting that <coughs> some of the older ones like um Salah who would be an overage player is obviously he's so keen to take part it seems but um i think it's primarily an under 23 tournament and no. um, the olympic football i remember when it was um here in the uk in, in london back in 2012 went to quite a few of the games up at old Trafford myself um Young Neymar was playing for Brazil. Look what he's gone on and uh, so,
0: achieved. So, he's, um, so that's a really good point. But mm-hmm. it's that part of the problem? Because it's it's maybe for Brazilian players, it's quite a well trodden path. And and Richardson may look at Neymar now as mm-hmm. a senior member of the Brazil squad and somebody he looks up to, and go, well, he went and did it. Yeah. Oh, de- definitely. I think I think it's a it, it's a big deal. It
1: ne- it never really has at all in the UK, but partly because. I think until um, London 2012, we, we didn't really have a, a, a team. We had that combined UK um, team GB for that games, just because it, as the host nation, mm. I think that we're expected to, to, to take part. But yeah, because it, it is GB rather than the, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland that we're used to in football. Never really had... Uh, sort of uh, much time for olympic football but yeah a lot of these countries it, it, it is a big deal i think even someone like a younger drissa gay was playing for senegal in that tournament as well sadio mani again across the flat possibly um yeah um, it is certainly for the for the younger players like Richarlison that 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 is a a big deal and um, yeah he'll be, i'm sure he he'd be very keen to take part so as much as we don't like it, I, I, I guess that's always going to be a realistic um, headache for for Carlo Ancelotti going into the season. Because, like you say, with it only finishing late as well, you'd imagine Brazil would have a fair chance of mm. going deep into the tournament. Perhaps so as the latter stages, they'd be out for a, for a medal. So yeah, I mean, it's it's always um, the risk that you run.
0: Sam, can 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 Richarlson, a cope with? Uh, it, undoubtedly, he's got the enthusiasm mm. and the desire, and you know what he plays with the pain barrier. So we know he would in many ways have no issue playing a Cup America and then having and then going straight into an Olympics. But for a player that's so important to the to the club, can can we really allow him to play both in the summer?
2: Not really, no, because I think what what you're forgetting is it's not just our kind of initial impact, is it? You know, by this time next season to so the end of, you know, twenty 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 one. Yeah. The Eel of Den basically played two years of, of unbroken football, but he won't have had that chance. And I just think on on a young lad's body like that, the, there's just no way it'll happen. In terms of he either picks up an injury, gets fatigued, or, or just you know the, the serious risk of just total burnout. And then you know for for a few weeks in the summer, for a few weeks of a summer tournament, then Everton kind of lose a, 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 their best player for for large chunks of the season. So that's obviously going to be Everton's argument, but at the same time, it is just such a difficult position that kind of uh, they've been thrown into, really, isn't it? I think we all remember that video of him uh, when he was selected for. I think it might have been the last Copa America, and all Not his really, family were watching yeah. the TV. Yeah, you know, he's got yeah. a, a, a yeah. real enthusiasm, a real love of playing for his country, like obviously like any young lad. But also then the, the South Americans, I think, really take these kind of tor- tournaments seriously as well And the Olympics. Obviously, as B said, there they won the last one in 2016 in Brazil. So the, the likelihood is the, the, they're at least getting to the to the latter stages. So it's just so difficult. If, if I was Everton, I'd, I don't know, I'd be tempted to just put my foot down and just say, well, well you're not going. You're our player and you're not going, but... I'd imagine the matter is a little bit more complicated than that. Yes, I'm sure it'd be a bit more diplomatic the conversation.
0: <laughs> but you know, you know, as 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 we say, you know, his enthusiasm to play for his country is part of what, you know, his enthusiasm to play football is part of what makes him and sets him apart, isn't it? So hopefully there could be an amicable solution to that. Um okay, moving on. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. John Pickford coming, obviously out of the game Crystal Palace's equaliser as Chris mentioned earlier uh, was somewhat soft Uh, a a shot low close to John Pickford's body his near post was allowed to squirm under him and Palace equalised Benteke scoring for the first time in 34 Premier League games and drawing Palace level Um, he did of course John Pickford pull out an exceptional save thereafter when the scores were 2-1 after a charlatan put the Blues back in front quite remarkable reflex save from the same player to keep the lead intact but of course he was um he had the bit between his teeth when he came through the mix zone afterwards and gave an interview uh to the media where he spoke about the criticism he gets um at all levels from all all media and, 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 and fans or punters as, as he referred to them as. Um Sam has Jordan got a point or does he does he does he need to accept that being criticized as a Premier League player and a high profile in the spotlight at a club the size of Everton's and
2: playing for his national team is, it's just part of the course, really. Yeah, I think it's a, it's difficult, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we we all make mistakes in in our, in in work, and not a lot of us have it kind of amplified to the point that the footballers do and and the Pickford does, and obviously probably starting. For, from that game at Anfield last season up until now, he he has unfortunately made a, a few mistakes which have which have been picked up on because they were kind of match defining mistakes and he he has been quite unfortunate in that. I think that other goalkeepers, and other top goalkeepers, sometimes when you watch them, and they just have that little bit of luck where they might spill one, the defender clears it, or you know they just they just get away with them. And unfortunately, at the moment, Pickford has got the bad habit of of not getting away with them and them costing goals and and a lot of the time. The, the cost important goals and you know, it was it was a strange one after the game for him to kind of maybe give that interview because we'd won. But he obviously came out with, as you said, the bit between his teeth to kind of give give that strong an, an interview. And Something he wanted to get off his chest. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He, he came out, didn't he, fully with the intention to say that and, and judging by the things he said, you know, especially kind of pinpointing Gaddy Neville and other pundits was something that had obviously mm. been on his mind a little bit. And I just think it's just frustrating with, with Jordan sometimes because he, he had something similar last season where he had the kind of Liverpool there and then the game at Newcastle and there was a lot of talk around him. And then he was pretty much perfect until the end of the season, didn't make no mistakes. We started off this season defensively pretty solidly. I think he kept a clean sheet on the opening day. And, and, and it was vital in his keeping a clean sheet. He yeah, you know, yeah. had a really good game. And then Watford... It was another clean sheet, wasn't it? So he started strongly, and it, it had all kind of just blown over a little bit. But now again, you know, when you make those errors, you've, you've kind of just got to accept the there will be criticism, and you do just have to put your head down because at the moment, I, I, I do think for the first time since those World Cup heroics, is, is England places in is in a little bit of a little bit of doubt. But first and foremost, he's he's got to be performing for Everton, and then, and I just think sometimes. It's that mentality side of the game that's letting them down because no one doubts the, you know, he has definitely, definitely won ever more points than he's lost them since he signed, and he's, he's made some incredible saves, and and I still think he's a really important player for Everton and someone that is going to be our goalkeeper for the for the next ten years. But you know, he, he's got to start looking at himself, and you can't stop keep pointing the fingers at pundits and critics and the newspapers and and the media because at the end of the day, it's now down to him to stop making those mistakes on on such a consistent basis you know every every goalkeeper's got going to make them every now and again but you know we we need Pickford to be as consistent as can be now if if we are going to push towards the Europa League
0: be understandably whenever they got whenever Pickford or any goalkeeper makes a mistake it creates a debate among supporters about mm. whether the goalkeeper is, still should be the club's number one whether he's suitable could we do better etc etc what how do you feel my my personal opinion is and I agree with Sam. Jordan Pickford wins us more points than he costs us. Yeah. It, was, it was a mistake. I know he said there was mitigation, got mm-hmm. his studs. I don't, buy the, I don't buy the mitigation particularly. I think he should have saved it regardless, of goalkeeper of his, of his ability. Yeah. But I think he's, I think on the whole, in the two and a half, nearly three seasons, he's been with us. He's mm. been one of our best players. I think he's been a very, very good signing. And and, and the more he matures, and I think that's the key. He, he needs to mature as you, and he will do he will become an even better goalkeeper. Do you have any issue with, with Jordan Pickford as our number one? And Forget the England stuff yeah, yeah, for now, yeah. because we're not really interested, no. are
1: we? Um, I think that is part of the problem. But no, for, for Everton, um, yeah, I, I I think that Everton have got a, a stronger goalkeeper as Everton could get. Mm. And I think it would cost them a lot of money to replace him with someone someone else. So I'm very much of the same thought that both of you two, that Jordan Pickford is good for Everton and Everton are good for Jordan Pickford and he should stay as Everton's number one. Um, But I do think that, I think it is those outside influences, the fact that he is England's number one, which is why there is so much scrutiny. If he wasn't England's number one, I mean, Evertonians would be disappointed with that, but ultimately that didn't cost Everton um, at the weekend. They came back and they they won the game 3-1. But it's because he's England's number one and that is... It's new territory for Everton. Everton, I've said before on this podcast, you know, at risk of repeating myself, it is the first time that Everton have had an established England number one with them. Um, only three other keepers have been capped for England while with Everton, and they've never really been a long-time number one. So certainly in where we are now, it's always been a case for many years, but in 2020 with the media scrutiny the way it is now with the England national team, obviously Gareth Southgate was there in the crowd at Goodison Park. He didn't have many other options at the weekend, but there he was watching. That's where the I think the pressure comes from because people are saying, well, it should be X or it should be Y or whether that's Henderson or Pope or whoever else is doing whatever at other clubs. That's why his, his mistakes are amplified. But, yeah, I do think that he should be doing better at times. That's only because we know how good he is and the fact that a couple of minutes later he pulls out that worldie and stops Benteke anyway, Um Without spoiling what we've got coming on the horizon, obviously, uh, as you both know, I, I spoke to Neville Southall this week and we'll be going with that story at the weekend. He's got his Brilliant ideas. stuff, by the way, if you listen, make
0: sure you check that out at the weekend.
1: Yeah, Rick I mean, best keeper in the world in his pomp you know, best keeper Everton ever had. So he's he's got some really interesting views about the way Jordan can improve and what he needs to do with the critics. But my own personal take is that, yeah, he, sh- he should be... Doing better at times, it just seems to be a lack of concentration. Because we know physically, you know, he's got those attributes to pull off those great saves. But whether it's Newcastle last season when his when his head went or whatever happened in those last moments at Anfield last season, there just seems to be moments when the concentration goes. Because we all know technically, there's no reason in the world why he shouldn't have you know stopped that daisy cutter from Benteke, but somehow it slipped through. So yeah, I think that um, you know if he, if he can just get his head right, you know, um, he's got the attributes. You know, to be a great keeper.
0: And look, Sam. You know, <laughs> regular podcast listeners know we we uh, we review you for your previous with Evidence Academy. But on a serious note, you know, goalkeeping better than any of us. What is it about Jordan Pickford that makes him, in your opinion, um, you know, a, 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 an, a, an elite level goalkeeper
2: or world class goalkeeper, or you know? I think the the one thing that always sticks with me is I always remember on his debut against Stoke when obviously Rooney scored that header and, and he hadn't really had nothing to do and then in the last minute I don't know if you remember it but mm. someone hit an absolute banger which may have been Shaquille yeah he got Shaquille and, and you know he, as soon as he hit it I just kind of looked away and was just like that's 1-1 one, one. like that, yeah. that's a goal and and just produced an, an unbelievable kind of save and, and for me that is what he's all about you know he is just he is a brilliant shot stopper and he's a, he's a natural shot stopper and that is just genuinely certain uh, you, you don't coach that you know you, you, you're born with that or you know, just a really natural ability to do those kinds of things, and you know, even in that first couple of seasons as well. You know, from from a couple of years of 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 Howard and and towards the end, certainly Robles. You know, we hadn't really had a keeper who was who I felt like was quite commanding, and even for a young lad, you know, when you watched him, he's he certainly got a presence, and he's certainly not not scared of of telling the people in front of him what he thinks and, and I do generally think then it's, he's got the right mix of ability and, and the attitude because he believes in himself and, and he's got that confidence and it is just, I think, the words you've used to just sum him up perfectly is his is maturity and how he matures in the next couple of years, isn't it? Because certainly I, I wouldn't say there's many better shot-stoppers than him in the Premier League. He's got the... Uh, Quite often, his, his distribution is up there, isn't he? You know, we've all seen him pull a few passes out, and his long kicking is good. His throwing's good. And just and sorry to interrupt. Sometimes,
0: sometimes one of the criticism is that his kicking can sometimes go awry. Sometimes, a bit erratic. Maybe is he sometimes a victim of his own ambition? Because we all know how good he can be in distributing the ball, and we we've seen some unbelievable passes that he's he's produced. Just sometimes. Do you think, as part of his learning, does he sometimes have to rein it in, and sometimes not have to be as ambitious as he sometimes is, and, and, and yeah, try for those
2: those passes that have got a percent, a slim mm-hmm. percentage chance of coming off? Yeah, and, that, and that's that's part of it, isn't it? And I, and I think game management is, is is certainly sometimes again can can work on it in that sense that you know sometimes it doesn't have to be a, a chipped pass out wide, or you know, when you've got one of the best headers of the ball probably in the world right now in Dominic Calvert Lewin up front sometimes it can just it, it can do that and, and it is what it is, isn't it? But certainly it's it's always nice to see him do a a little ball to Dean or to Coleman or to whoever's playing playing right back and he has got it in his locker but as as you're saying, another the other thing you've got to think about sometimes is, you know, certainly under Silver it felt like that was something he was being asked to do, wasn't it? And maybe sometimes if it's not quite on, but he's thinking in the back of my mind, well I've been asked to do it and I'm, I'm gonna go for it. But yeah, you know, Ancelotti's got faith in him, hasn't he? And, and he said that pretty early on when there was rumours that he was in the market for a goalkeeper. But, you know, it looks like he's got faith in him. Um, you know, and, and and he's seemingly... It seems like he's he's highly thought of, you know, by Alan Kelly as well from some of the things he said on him in the past. So I think now it is just about him getting to the end of the season, not making any more errors that people are going to kind of have his name... Uh, in the newspaper and that about, because obviously that's not a nice feeling, especially with the Euros coming up. And, and if he can keep that jersey and have a strong summer, then I think Everton have got, you know, a top keeper for many, many years to come.
0: So speaking about what uh, Michael Silver asked him to do with the ball at his feet, Allardyce used to just tell him to get rid of it as far and as long as possible. Ah, miss those days, though. <laughs> I mean. uh, moving on, uh, a conversation that we were having mid-game mid in the press box, Chris, um, mm-hmm as he was brought on, albeit delayed, because he forgot to put on his oh. sock. Um, it's getting to the point now. We're only two and a half, three months of the season left. Everson took Gibril Sidibe on loan from AS Monaco, with the option to buy him for around £12.7 million. Would you keep him? I don't know if I would, but that's not any slight
1: to the Sidibe, who's done well. It's just like, as you mentioned earlier, the fact that John Joe Kenny has also done very well at Schalke. So... Do you sacrifice this young lad? um actually mentioned to Phil earlier this morning, someone had said on Twitter, if Everton were to sign a 22-year-old right-back from possibly Champions, Champions League-bound Schalke this summer, everyone would go, oh, well, that's a promising sign. Real buzz, wouldn't it? Yeah, so the, yeah, so the fact kid, that yeah. you've already got somebody like that on the books, homegrown hero in John Joe Kenny chomping at the bit to come back, um, yeah, that would be, that would be my, my doubt. I mean, unless you... You go radical and you say, "Well, thank you for all you've done, Seamus Coleman, but move your on and have Sadiby and Kenny as the two options." Yeah, I think it's very much up for grabs. But I think that what I think the whole Kenny factor puts a big question mark over Sadiby, given that he's the only one of those three options which isn't currently an Everton player permanently. Um, I I guess it, there's there's so much for Carlo to consider in that. Does well, he want to have a look at John Joe well, yeah. first before he even makes that decision? But c- can he afford to do that in that Sadibi might turn around and say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else and, and
0: does and, and you make a very good point, Chris. Does, does Carlo and Everton, is there enough time in competitive situations for Carlo to have a proper look at John Joe? You know, he may have the opportunity to go to Germany between mm. now and the end of the season, maybe. And then after that, he's, yeah. he's he's got him at training at the start of July at Finch Farm. And, and, and you know, pre-season will start yeah. sort of, early July, mid-July, the games, but then they're pre- they're friendly games, you're getting a real gauge. Yeah. Do you think he has to lean on, on the advice of, of brands and, and the recruitment department more for this decision? I'm, I'm sure it will be a, a big factor. I think
1: the whole um, reason that John Joe Kenny was sent out on loan would, would not be because Everton were just trying to make it a Few quid on him. They, they were obviously thinking, well, we've still got Seamus Coleman here as the established right back, as the club captain. So we need to see what John Joe's like for a full season, albeit in German football, as it turned out, playing uh, week in, week out at, that, at the highest level, with the idea that he can eventually come back and become first choice right back, at least challenged to be first choice mm. right back. Everton, yes, yeah, so it may be that Carlo speaks to Marcel Brands and say, where do you think he's at? What's your idea in this um, right back situation? Because I think arguably in any um, individual area of the pitch currently, it's the it's the the one position which is most up for grabs, is the the, the, the most question marks about this summer. And that you've you've got three very good players there. That I mean, nobody's letting anyone down mm-hmm. there. Three different stages of their career. Seamus Coleman, who's been there, done it all. Is, good as any right back Everton have ever had totally revolutionised the, the position but he had that nasty injury isn't what he was but then his presence within the dressing room mm. you got Jibriel Sidibe sort of supposedly at the peak of his powers mid, mid-career there and then somebody like John Joe Kenny who's, who's coming through in the promise for the, the future so yeah, it, it's difficult because you can't kind of keep one of them waiting and say, well, let's have a look at John Joe Kenny, or you just wait there for a, a couple of weeks, of DB, you, you, You've got you've got to work fast. So, yeah, it may be a case that it's not entirely one that Carlo does on his own. That um, he, he does um, he, look see how John Joe's got on, look to see what Marcel Brand's idea is. I mean, we don't even know what Sidibe's thoughts are. I may saying all the right things, yeah. of course, but... Who knows? He make think, oh, "Well, okay, it's been it's been decent at Everton, but go and do something else next season."
0: French for decent? you many decent. Not quite sure. Um, <laughs> we're basing this discussion, Sam, on, on on two players per position, which is the you know the very loose but, but fairly applicable rules to the squad building twenty three man squad. As we as we sit here now, put you on the spot. What's your two for the start of next season? it's so one, isn't it well it, well
2: it is isn't yeah. it this is the this is the thing it's so difficult it is just there's just too many factors in there i think at the moment to, to have a clear a clear say right now you know for for all intents and purposes kenny is having a brilliant time in in Schalke and you know judging by your piece today I haven't got all the kind of data and widgets they need to kind of monitor, monitor that so you know which is obviously good but then will ancelotti make a decision based on what brands has seen, what the data say. He's probably going to, you know, he's long enough in the tooth to probably want him to come back, isn't he, and have a look. But then does that leave it too late? If, if you wait until pre-season to, to then make these decisions, then would it be too late to make his decision on Sadibi? You know, and there's just, there's so much that could go wrong as well, isn't there? You know, at the end of the day, if if you said, right, we're going to go with Coleman, we're going to sign Sadibi, we'll have them two, we'll sell Kenny. And then Kenny goes on to continue blossoming at Schalke and in a few years he's worth, he's a £40 million right back that we've let slip between our fingers, then that's difficult. But at the same time, then you could go, right, he's been brilliant, bring him back. And he might not have the same effect. So for me, it's just so, so difficult at the moment.
0: And it is, I mean this in, in the most um, complimentary term, is Coleman complicating matters? Because Coleman, as bees alluded to, is no longer guaranteed first choice. It's It's very much... You know, every couple of weeks it seems to change, and there's a rotation. And we know Carlo; he's kind of keen on certain elements of rotation, anyway. But it was like that last season when when him and Kenny. Is it because he's club captain and he and he's probably a real influence, uh, really good around the place, ultra professional? Uh, you know, a, a shining light for the younger players. Does that complicate matters because he also because he brings all of that to the club and the squad? as well as being a dependable right back in the Premier League, albeit somebody who was who's not at the peak of his powers.
2: Yeah, and and that the other thing is that, you know, you, you know what you're getting from Sheamus, isn't mm. it? You know that, you know, even his performance against Crystal Palace, you know, with the in the first half forced Wilfred Zaha to to switch flanks. At this point, not that many defenders gonna gonna do that. But at the same time he has he has just lost that little yard of pace, hasn't he? And that little spark that made him you know, one of Europe's best right-backs for, for such a long period of time. I, just, I feel like Coleman is kind of just the, the safe option at the moment, isn't it? And, and that's not a bad thing. He, he, I just
0: think you look at look at how how much value the club placed in handing Leighton Baines a new you one-year deal, yeah. you know, rather than saying to Anthony Robinson, right, you come in and, you know, and I just wonder whether there's a similar thought process with Sheamus and that's why three into two doesn't go.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 this, and to be honest, the more you talk about it, the more it's probably going to be the most interesting, or one of the most interesting subplots of of Everton's summer. But right now, I think it's bordering on the impossible to to say what they're going to do. I think they could do any of that, and and even I still think they could even go out and, and buy another right back and, and and complicate things even more. And you know, they could have a, an alternative kind of identifier who, who Ancelotti really likes and says, "I want him to be my first choice." And then you know, it's it's. Three names, then, that you have to decide who fights for that place. So, you know, there's, there's just so much that can happen.
0: Further, further muddy in the waters. Chris, is, is, <laughs> is there any do any of the conversations that Marcel, Carlo, and, and the team have s- centre around the fact that Sadibi has operated as a right winger fairly admirably this season? Now, I know, I know, you know, he would not be the answer. You know, the club have made it clear. A right, a right winger is something they will be looking at, and I'm not saying that we sign him for that position. But his versatility is that another issue that complicates this? No, no, okay. he's done, he's done, <laughs> no, he's done. He, he has. He's
1: done admirably. Um, he's 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 done a, a good job on that right hand side of the midfield. But going, but that's just a necessity of the situation. Okay. I, I, I believe so. I don't think in regards to whether you're going to sign him for the club or not. Because you say, okay, we'll have those two Coleman and Kenny is right, as the two right backs, and Sadibi's an alternative on the right hand side of midfield. Uh, no, I mean, Cucu Martina did an admirable job at <laughs> times at left back um, in the season. Then he had to play it, I think he got a couple of assists on his left peg as well, the equivalent of Baines getting a couple on his right. So, <laughs> no, yeah, Sadibi's done really well when he's been called upon. From that bizarre incident when um, he obviously wasn't ready on on Saturday, which, which I think never You've, mind. He got to
2: put a sock on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Carlo's known for raising an eyebrow. I'm sure he raised an eyebrow at that at that particular moment. Yeah, but young, um, he, he? yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's done very well. when call upon right and the midfield, but I would I would hope that going forward that
0: Everton were identifying more more natural um, right wingers. Mm. Indeed, one a debate for the coming months, no doubt, because. Uh, we can't really seem to agree on on a solution, and over to you, Marcel and, and Carlo, to make that call because it will not be an easy one. Um, just before we wrap up, of course, the players on winter breaks and have jetted to all manner of places around the world, um, chaps. If you were on a winter break, where would you go?
2: <laughs> I think I think Davies and Carveth Lewin. You, a...
0: you can't say the Black Horse. you've,
2: well, got, you've got to get on a plane. I'll start there. Get picked up from there at <laughs> right, okay. the airport. Um, I think they've had the right idea going through America. Yeah. Go and, go and smash Vegas is in for a week. That'd be a decent little break, wouldn't it? Wouldn't wouldn't be wearing some of the some of the club I've seen though. Right, yeah. Moist but, Keen, Moist Keen.
0: Yeah. Poor. Some bold, some fashion statements being made, bees.
1: Yeah. Why do you want me, Everton Dar's response here? To <laughs> my, um, <laughs> where
0: would yeah. you go? A well, well-travelled jet. Yeah, Chris, I've already been, been on
1: my own winter break. I have. I've actually had one. It wasn't in, in um, it didn't correlate with Everton's break. But um, yeah, I've been just come back from. Uh, with two for the price of one, went to Vienna and uh, threw in a second capital city for the price of one in, uh, in Bratislava as well. There so you I've, go. Been, I've already um, had my um, winter break. So the, there cu- you
0: go. the cultural choice. What about you? I just stay Finch fan. Ultimate pro. <laughs> Good stuff, chaps. Right, we will ra- wrap it up there. A um, little teaser we are recording a special podcast uh, at the end of the week, uh, which we'll put out probably on Friday. Uh, Sam and I will be sitting down with David Unsworth uh, to discuss all things academy at under 23. So very much looking forward to that. And we'll bring you that Friday, probably or over the weekend. Uh, Chats, thanks for your company. Good stuff as always. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.